What's going on, everybody? This is Noah Alvarez, and you are tuned into another episode of the My Mike and I podcast, episode 131. And before we get into this week's show, thank you again to Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. And also, shout out to Vince Correa for designing the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen. Want to get this uh, intro relatively uh, quick and out the way as we have a longer interview than usual, but it's a good one. And before we do get into that, you know, it's uh, approaching Thanksgiving. Hope you guys remember to... You know, remind yourselves what you're thankful for, be grateful for. And, you know, even though this year has been a really challenging year, I've recently, like the past few weeks, kind of written some things down that's really gone well for me. And just to share a few things on the podcast, you know, I've met some really other, some really dedicated podcasters too in the Orange County area. We started True 100. We started a website, Locker Room Sports with Max and Carl. Man, I've been able to do and accomplish a lot this year, and I'm really grateful for that. Despite all the bad that stuff that's happened around my my personal life and also just the you know the life at large as the world total you know hasn't been pretty but I've definitely had a lot of blessings this year for sure and with that you know we'll go ahead and hop into episode 131 um, thank you guys again for tuning in remember if you're listening on Apple Spotify it doesn't matter what platform be sure to subscribe be sure to follow be sure to like our page and be sure to follow the social medias at mime period mike and period i on instagram and then at underscore noah alvarez those are the two best places you can follow me at to interact with the show have uh, questions feedback if you're interested in being on the show those are the two best places and so without further ado let's go ahead and hop into the guest for this week's show The guest for episode 131 is none other than Tui the Shark. Tui the Shark is an artist who is uh, lives in Orange County. He's bounced around a little bit, served in the military. We talk about that on the podcast as well. Recorded this on Veterans Day. So shout out to all the veterans, including my padrino Ben and my uncle Frank, that are personally in my family. So thank you guys for your service, as well as all the other veterans out there too. But uh, yeah, we recorded this on Veterans Day, and it was a fun conversation. Tui also has a podcast called Swimming with Dark and Short. Swimming, swimming with Shark and Dory. <laughs> I got that mixed up. My bad for that. But yeah, he has a podcast. He also makes music, like I said. Um, and he plugs all the stuff at the end. I'll plug that at the end as well, too. But without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation between Tui and myself. All right, now we're starting. I'm going to put these on like a douchebag because, you know, I got like three hours. Yeah, take them on and off. You know, when, when it gets serious, I'll take them off. <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on, though. Look right into the camera. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave them off. People know I don't sleep. Okay. Don't really. All right, well, we're recording this on Veterans Day. And yeah. you mentioned to me then the message is that you are a veteran. I You served in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you find yourself uh, joining the armed forces? This is the only question that I saw in the prompt before I looked away quickly. Okay. I, because I hate, I hate, I like it to be a surprise. I like, yeah, yeah. you know, to be a natural conversation. This is actually a really difficult question for me because mm-hmm. I never chose to be in the military. Mm. I was given an ultimatum after I left rehab mm-hmm. um, where my parents told me I had to get a job within three months or I had to join the military. And uh, we never made it to the three months when mm. I was forced into the military. They thought I was going to be in the reserves. But I was so upset that I went active duty um, just to get away from my parents and stuff and become my own person and uh, just live life on my own. Yeah. Um, because up until that point, I was I was in a very sheltered 
uh, environment. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very Republican Christian household, so being ethnic, it, it was really fucking weird. Yeah. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, what branch of the military was? I it? was in the army. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I was I was there for a, a good chunk of change. I did a full contract, which is like almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent most of my time in Colorado, so I wasn't that far from home. I got to fly back and stuff, fuck around. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I knew. When I joined the military, I was like, as soon as I get out of this bitch, yeah. I'm going 100% into my music shit for okay. myself. So, um, it was it was a good experience for the most part. I did uh, go head up with a lot of adversity. Uh, there was there was a lot of unexpected bullshit that I had to go through, mm-hmm. but um, it made me who I am today. It made me stronger. It instilled so much so much discipline in me, and yeah. that was very needed. At the time of my life, yeah. so um, I'm not mad at it. Okay, but uh, I think that I would prefer to do things uh, by choice. Right? Yeah. Just from, like right from the start. I mean, you're saying that you got forced into it. That sounds like yeah. a very shitty predicament to be thrown mm-hmm. into. Well, um, my parents always had a really rough time with me growing up because I was not like my brothers or anything mm-hmm. that my family had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother knew from a, a young age that I was very intelligent and uh, it could be problematic for the rhetoric that they wanted to bring me up in mm-hmm. and uh it was i you asked a lot of questions right? yeah. i did yeah uh, einstein is one of my heroes hey. a famous quote from einstein is question everything yeah. so yeah they were very annoyed with me <laughs> at a very young age uh but i didn't make it easy on them so i don't i don't blame them they just didn't really know what to do with me and didn't really have a whole lot of resources to handle uh, the issues that i was going through at the time so no shade to my parents um, they're just different people than I am, mm-hmm. and uh, I still love and respect them. Those are my parents, um, but we don't really kick it like that. Yeah. <laughs> are you close to any siblings at all? Because you mentioned you had a few other ones. No, I have two brothers, and we're not close um, at all. My younger brother is a sheriff deputy, mm-hmm. and uh, my older brother is also a retired uh, military veteran. He mm-hmm. is a combat veteran, so he's been to war and stuff, but he was a military policeman. So, you know... I'm very FTP. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck if you're my blood or not. Yeah. You know, so I've had many conversations with them about it and it, it never goes very far and it's never really productive because I like to spit facts mm-hmm. and, you know, um, no, no shade to them either, but they, they're kind of on the, you know, you got to make money. Yeah. Go with the thing. flow kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, there's so many other ways to make money. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that I, uh, me and my younger brother, I would went I went at him a lot more because mm-hmm. I was I'm, I was very and still very am disconnected from my older brother but uh, my younger brother we we were a lot closer um, which is kind of sad to say because it wasn't really like that close we didn't really conversate in yeah. my home we didn't really talk about anything past surface level um, and because me and my brothers were raised in such close proximity and not allowed a whole lot of outside time mm-hmm. beyond what was regulated. Um, by the time we hit puberty and got into high school, we really didn't want to be around each other, even Damn. though we went to the same high school. It was just kind of like, you know, I'll see you when, when we get home. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I'm stuck with you. Right. So we never really developed uh, a very strong relationship. Uh, communication wasn't really a thing in my home. Of course, my parents wanted us to communicate, but it was very sanctioned. Yeah. Uh, like I said before, it was very... um cut and dry a very square ass family i mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to listen to secular music or hip-hop dang um at all so i had to sneak and listen to hip-hop i had to sneak 
the Eminem LP, Marshall Mathers LP, I had to sneak Ice Cube, my first rapper that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had to I had to sneak around, which kind of made it like fun. Yeah. But at the same time, I really wish that I could connect with my um, my family more through my music and, and my artistry. It's just um, they don't really we don't really see eye to eye. Yeah. You know, our belief systems are very different. Yeah, that's tough too. You said it's a conservative household, right, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So even going back to like the whole police thing, I feel like sometimes when you grow up in those conservative households, it's kind of seen as like a a very prestigious position, you know, or a very like you're brought up thinking it's like another thing completely different from other people who may have grown, grown up on the other side mm-hmm. of town, right, in a lower socioeconomic area. Well, that's the thing though, because it never really was preached on us to be police officers right, and stuff right, like yeah. that. Um, my brothers didn't really take to the african-american studies as much as i didn't so i think that there's a big difference because i have had a lot of hang-ups with you know um especially with the sheriff's department because the star is still the same star that they did with the slave patrol yeah you know and it's just kind of like bro this is too close it's too eerie yeah. and uh what my brother actually does now uh, i don't know if he still does i haven't talked to him in, in, a, in a long time but the last time i checked he was a sheriff's deputy in the prison system. Mm. So, you know, he would often talk about and kind of brag about beating up on prisoners and whatever. And yeah. I'm like, bro, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, these people are not well. And whether you believe that criminality is something that is uh, learned or taught, it, it's the environment that they're around. They don't have a lot of resources on how to get it. And then this is supposed to be a correctional yeah. facility. Yeah. You're supposed to be helping these people get on the right path, not beating on them. Yeah. You know, regardless of if they're violent or whatever, you have more than enough staff, more than enough resources to hold them down properly or do whatever. You don't yeah. have to, to do all that. But I, I digress. I don't want to... Let's let's move on. I don't want to <laughs> talk about my family anymore. No, I think... All right, <laughs> we can move on. You did mention earlier, though, that you did get out of rehab before going into the military. If I you don't mind opening up about that. No, I have no problem talking about drug use. My mm-hmm. family's a little more touchy, but, um, yeah, I got really bad into drugs, just mm-hmm. trying to get the attention of my family and then kind of lost my way in that whole ploy. Um, for me, it was really bad with uh, prescription opiates, so mm-hmm. things like hydrocodone, oxycodone. You know things like that and I kind of delve into other things because I was running with a, a few street urchins some self-proclaimed neo-nazis um, self-proclaimed gypsies I don't use that word because I believe it's a slur but they call themselves that okay um, so not good people um, spent a lot of time in opium dens and shit and uh, the funny thing is and I love telling this story is when I decided to go straight I woke up after a bender and my benders would be stupid like it would be like a week two weeks that mm. I would just disappear and I was still living with my parents yeah, yeah. and at this point they were so hands off with me they didn't even ask me where I was going yeah. what I was with like they'd call me and I would lie and they would know I was lying but they would just not press the issue at all so I was just like whatever more drugs or and stuff so um, I woke up after a really bad bender particularly and everybody else was still passed out you know still all drugged up and whatever I just looked around and I was like, is this what I want to be? Yeah. Are these the people that I want to reflect um, who I am? This is my community. These are my people. And I just got up, didn't say anything to anybody. Well, obviously, everybody was still passed out. <laughs> and just got up, walked all the way home. And I think I was in Buena Park at the time. And I lived okay. in Anaheim. Yeah. So it was a long walk. So on the walk, I went through some resources. Some people were reaching out to me, seeing that I was kind of going a little wayward. Um I looked sick. It was it was pretty obvious. Yeah. You know what I mean? And by the time I got home, I had already set up to go into a Christian rehab, 
which I was there for about two years. Um, and when I got home, my parents had set up an intervention for me, but it was like a half-assed intervention. You know what I mean? It was just my immediate family. Nobody really wrote anything. Yeah. And they were like still setting up when I got there. Like, fuck. And, then I was, and, and I was like, what's going on? And it's an obvious intervention. Like it's a circle. Nobody else does this. Yeah, like yeah. I, we never meditated or had powwows in my family. So I was just like, fuck. And they're like, oh, this is an intervention. And I laughed for a good 45 seconds, like obnoxiously loud. And everybody was like fucking scared. Now I'm still kind of high. You know, I'm coming down. <laughs> like even though I walked for like over an hour and shit. Yeah. But uh, this is some strong drugs. Um, but uh, I laughed and then they were all stunned into silence. And in that silence, I was just like, I, I'm already going to rehab tomorrow. I had already had a, a bed for me waiting. Mm-hmm. Somebody was picking me up in the morning. And so their response was, oh, oh, that's good. And nothing else was said. That was it. <laughs> that was it. And then um, I went into the rehab. My parents kind of came through to check on things every now and again. It really felt like being in school again. Yeah. And like having a little meetings with the principal because it was just the three of them and I'm an adult, but yeah. they're still talking shit about me and while I'm still there like a kid and they're just like, Well, you know, he has behavior issues and shit. <laughs> and this this pastor wasn't um you know, he wasn't medically or psychologically certified in any way. Mm. But, you know, they were talking about all this shit like they knew me. I was like, Bro, I've only been here for like a year and a half, like chill. Mm. But it, it was it was a great experience. I got to learn a lot about myself. Um the cold turkey was a bitch, mm-hmm. but uh, I pretty much made Jesus my drug. Yeah, you know what I mean. Okay. And I got like super Bible thumper, obnoxious, mm-hmm. like um, you know, trying praying away blindness and stuff, or trying to, mm-hmm. you know, um, marching down the street and uh, rebuking psychic shops and whatever. Just, oh, just dang, okay. yeah, it was, you're all in it, huh? Oh, bro. <laughs> Seriously, I learned so much apologetics, which mm-hmm. is the study or defense of your faith, mm-hmm. that even to this day, even though I'm not a practicing Christian or anything like that, if somebody comes sideways at me with the Bible, I can school them in their own book. So it's that's cool. You know, pros yeah. and cons. Yeah, exactly. It's good to be well versed <laughs> in that. You know, for sure. Yeah. And you know, I have a lot of Christian friends, and I don't really put anybody down for what they believe or anything like that. It's when they, when somebody starts to encroach on your well being or lifestyle. Because of their well-being or lifestyle, you yeah. know what I mean. Then there's there's usually that little that toss-up of uh, you know, do you want some smoke or are you just running your mouth? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So how what what age were you when you got out of rehab and then joined the military? I was oh shit. I think I was 22 mm-hmm. because I I had my 21st birthday in rehab. So fucking fun. <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't do shit. They were just like, happy birthday! I didn't even get a cake. Nothing. Nothing? Nothing, bro. Okay. Uh, I think I got an extra Panero bread sandwich, so that was cool. I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, our charity used to get, like, all Panero sandwiches at the end of the day. All the sandwiches they didn't sell. So, mm-hmm. that was pretty dope. Um, but I was, I think I was 22 going on 23. Okay. Yeah. And I went pretty much after rehab, you know, that just that month and a half, and then into the military. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, it was all pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get a whole lot of uh, break time yeah. between those two. Yeah. I haven't heard a whole lot of people going to Christian rehab. How does that differ from just like the typical rehab that we all kind of envision and know about? Well, most rehabs, they encourage you to believe in a higher power anyway. Yeah. So most rehabs are a little more lenient and more focused on the individual and getting help psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, learning 
what caused the drug habit because yeah. being an addict doesn't mean that you're addicted to drugs it's usually you're addicted to escapism yeah like you're usually running from something right and uh i was running from myself i really was um but it was much different because i woke up every day um before the sun for bible study and, mm -hmm. and prayer and every day we had about three bible studies and we had our own study time and stuff like that so it was a lot man it was a lot mm -hmm. um but I, I just kind of put my head down and I was like, I'm here to get clean. Yeah. Um, and the Jesus was just kind of already part of the refrain of my entire life. Yeah. I was raised in a, a you know, again, a very Nicene Creed, um, Christian, Judeo-Christian background. Uh, so it, it was, it was just more like more of the same. So yeah. I felt like I was coming back to something that I was used to and mm -hmm. getting on the right path. But it, it was really just falling back into the imposter that I had created, you know, uh, to, to appease my parents and people around me, my community and so on yeah. and so forth. You know, I was very, I was raised in a very keep your head down type manner. Right. Usually. Right. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Latin neighborhoods, so we were the only other ethnic family, so I'm black and Samoan, mm -hmm. so that didn't really go well. Uh, it helped that my mother is fluent in Spanish, so yeah. that's great. Um, everybody spoke to my father in Spanish, so they always thought he was like uh, Mexico City Spanish, you know what I mean, because he's very light-skinned, but yeah. he has attributes that can be uh, conflated, so... Mm. Um, yeah, Christian rehab was was much different because it was like you can only choose this. If you did not follow this, you had to go, which yeah. is how I was raised anyway. So dang, okay. Uh, was there one particular? You mentioned finding the right path. Was there one particular moment, or was it just kind of like a build up, build up until eventually kind of figured it out for you? Well, I said that kind of as a fallacy. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there is a right path for yeah. anybody. You get to choose. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I don't think that there's a right and wrong. I think that there is consequences and reactions to everything that you do mm -hmm. whether you intend for it or not that's it's just gonna happen you know life life is not orderly life is chaos mm -hmm. and uh i think it helped me get off of drugs mm -hmm. which is great but uh when i got into the military and got my wisdom teeth pulled they they oh. gave me oxycontin and uh, i was just like fuck yeah so yeah i went through those pills pretty quickly pretty quickly mm -hmm. and then I was just like whoa now let's not do this uh -huh. so uh yeah it, you know Jesus didn't exactly help me with mm -hmm. my my uh my addiction right he did distract me from it makes sense okay so was that what became I guess that new distraction because you mentioned that you were a really hardcore Christian mm. now you're not so much when did that kind of change for you and what uh the military bro okay the military fucked me all the way up because it it was just so much culture shock um, I did most of my training in the South mm. and, uh, at the time I, I had queer tendencies, but I didn't tell anybody I was queer. I didn't, I, I didn't fully accept myself mm. yet because it wasn't okay. Even though don't ask, don't tell just got repealed, like literally like a year before I got in. So mm -hmm. people were still getting used to it. But in my unit, there was, um, like the installation's first transgendered soldier. Oh, wow. And there was just so much terrible backlash because of it. Yeah. Uh, and she just wanted to live her life, and everybody literally made it super hard. And um, she was a great soldier. So I was just like, what's the fucking problem? Yeah. 
And they were like, oh, it's weird. It makes me uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you kill people for a living. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> get over it. Get over yourself. Like, chill the fuck out. Anyway, um, it was just a, a different time for me. And it shook me in my faith because there were people who were claiming to be Christian and then not following the, the same creed as I was. Right. Now, I came from what was supposedly a non-denominational, non-denominational background, mm-hmm. which means, um, you know, everything's cool. We're not... We're not just one thing, and we're not going to condemn anybody else because they believe something else. Yeah. But that's that's not the case. You yeah. Know? It, it turned out to be kind of elitist in its own way. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, we're not like them, or mm-hmm. we're not like this. And it kind of gave this, this uh, for lack of better words, this uppity and very bougie atmosphere and yeah. energy that, unfortunately, I kind of adopted. So I didn't make a lot of friends... Because I was kind of like, you know, in this, you know, holier than thou, better than you type atmosphere and mindset. So I spent a lot of my time alone, which is terrible for a soldier because you already feel super isolated. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know anybody. I was in a new state. I didn't have any friends because I was weird. And my queer tendencies uh, coming back to that, I would do my eyebrows like way thinner yeah. than what I used to do like very very thin super thin uh-huh. to the point where it caught every CEO um, NCO's attention which stands for non-commissioned officer they're usually the sergeants and stuff that are yelling at the lower enlisted and things mm-hmm. like everybody's attention and they tried to make fun of me but they saw that I really didn't care Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like the military broke me right? mentally it was more all of the shit that I was already dealing with that I was trying to run from mm-hmm. that kind of just came closing in the more time that I spent alone mm-hmm. and uh, what have you. Yeah. And back to the religion thing, I grew up Catholic and mm-hmm. I always felt like once I got towards high school and I met, like I went through the whole confirmation thing because that was mm-hmm. really something that my parents really pushed on me. You got baptized when you were a baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, godparents. Yeah, exactly. Things. So yeah. as I went through confirmation, I met like other kids in my you know area, high school, that kind of thing mm-hmm. that were also Catholic. Like you said, they're kind of almost developed this like little elitist like type of right uh, way about them, right? Mm-hmm. The way they carry themselves. And I was just like, it may, it really turned off the institution of religion, right? I still pray. I still believe in God. Right. I'll still do my own forms of things here mm-hmm. and there, but I don't. And then, you know, just because I'm a big history junkie, like, you know, you look back to, like, the Crusades or just, like, even, like, World War II. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's been so many things, right, Right. where it's, like, there's been these massive wars and battles fought over the religion, right, and Mm. people's beliefs and disagreeing with each other and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, like, okay, I get why, you know, religion is good because it can help people Mm. get out of rehab or whatever, like, come clean and different things. But it also, I feel like there's a a really bad side of it too at least the institution of it and how it divides people and can get people very hostile towards one another without even getting to know each other almost like politics are now or anything else and it's just kind of like it's shitty because i I think at its root i think if people saw religion back in the day and they Mm -hmm. saw what it got to now they kind of frown upon certain things you know yeah no i totally agree with that like a lot of people talk about the times of jesus and the times of the romans and whatever if you were a christian in the roman times it was like there's no difference. You're still a Roman citizen. You still believe Caesar is God. Otherwise, you know, you're not a Roman citizen. So there wasn't as much of the rigidity that we're familiar with today. Mm -hmm. Um, Notice I've used the the term Nicene Creed, which is the most popular form of Christianity in uh, the Americas. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's the belief in the, the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Trinity, um, mm-hmm. and the belief that Jesus Christ is the um, third figurehead of God. And um, it's very confusing when you really get into it. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, I don't knock religion or anything about it, but it is... It is exhausting, yeah. Like to do all that. I was the we were the the family that was at church every Sunday, mm-hmm. and sometimes for multiple services. Dang. Yeah. No. It was. Oh my god. You know. But it prepared me. It yeah. prepared me mentally, uh, and in the forms of discipline for right. rehab, and then for the military. And right. those things happened in succession. What it did not prepare me for was fucking marriage. That <laughs> was not. That was not the way. Mm mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. That, that's uh, that's my two cents. Thanks okay. for coming to my TED Talk. Okay. <laughs> so after the military, you said that you were ready to put out music. Was music something that you were interested in before the military at all? Oh, yeah. Okay. I grew up in music. Um, I have over 25 years of music experience under my belt, and mm-hmm. that's with performance. Okay. Um, my mother was a music teacher, and as much as we don't agree, I still love my mother for the things that she's instilled in me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the intelligence, the knowledge... And especially music. She's a vocal coach. She was a violin player. Um, fun fact, everybody in my family plays a musical instrument. Uh, in my immediate family, my father and my younger brother play the ukulele. My mother and my younger brother also plays the violin. My older brother plays the bass. And I play the clarinet. Well, oh, not nice. so much anymore. But yeah. Okay. So uh, music was very much a part of mm-hmm. life for me. Everybody was very musical. Um, my brothers, not so much because of the way that we experienced music. Uh, because my mother was a teacher, yeah, she couldn't help but to like teach her kids. We didn't get to sing for pleasure because <laughs> somebody would always be like, hey, you're off key. Yeah. You're flat. <laughs> hey, shut up. <laughs> you know, if you're going to sing, sing it right. Yeah. You know. My mother, she wasn't as brash as my father, but she would like get close and she would just be like... And she would, she just had looks. You yeah, know what I mean, and it was just, I, I spent a lot of time trying to please my parents. Mm, so makes sense. Singing was not as enjoyable. Yeah, um, in my home, we'd always have to like sing elsewhere, sing in choir, sing by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know. And then you said you were pretty like limited to to what you could listen to as a kid. How did oh you, yeah. How did you come across hip hop? You can't hide from it. Yeah. You really can't. And my parents, like, the thing was, when they were younger, because I think when we were younger and they were younger, I, my parents were very young when they had me. My father mm-hmm. was uh, 22, going on 22, and my mother was 20 years old mm-hmm. uh, when they had me. And, of course, I have an older brother. So yeah. they, they were young parents, and uh, my younger brother came much, um, not much later, but a, a little later. He, yeah. he was two years uh, beyond me. And then me and my older brother are only um, like nine months apart or something like that. Or okay. 10 months, 12, 11. I don't know math. I'm bad at it. He was born in May a year before and I was born in July. So I think that's like 14 months. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm not that bad at math. Uh, so my parents, they they were they were good people in, in, in the bare sense of it. You know what I mean? They're not terrible people. I just think that they're very old fashioned. Mm-hmm. And not very forward thinking, so things are very rigid, hard stop uh, with them. Um, I kind of forgot what the question was because we kind of. Uh, How did you first come across hip hop? Right. So yeah, they couldn't hide it, and I remember coming into my parents' room, and uh, it's not necessarily it's considered a hip hop song, but it's like, mm, but it's uh, 
Here comes the high step of the Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a lyrical like, gangster murderer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I loved the, the those two bars, and my mother got so upset that I kept singing it because it was on the radio when, yeah. when it came on. You know, she was just cleaning, listening to music. So she made a rule at that point, and I believe I was only like six or something, mm-hmm. that there would be no more hip hop. Like we would only clean the gospel. Um, and then she made the exception later on that we could listen to Will Smith. Mm. (laughs) So I got deep into the discography discography of Will Smith, but I believe the first very secular hip hop song, I was about five, four or five years old. And it was, and I still remember it to this day, Ice Cube, Bow Down. Uh-huh. Oh, and it just came out. Yeah, yeah, that freaking that beat. You know, and um, it it, it just hit different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you could Ice Cube is is one of those classic OG MCs that really puts that expression yeah. behind his words. Like you can hear it in the cadence, right, and the punchline. So he means what he's saying. You yeah, know what I mean. And it was that conviction mm-hmm. that really brought me to it. Like, the bad words is one thing, you know. Was, you know ooh, we got the little naughty blushes and whatever. But I was really listening to what he was saying. Right. You know, and uh, that that's one of his more braggadocious songs. But I was really impressed with how he put together his cadences and mm-hmm. his schemes. Um, <laughs> and we, I used to say this, this line all the time. But when it comes down to the part where he goes... Uh, on your knees, give me keys, butt naked, please. I was just like, oh my god, like, how you gonna, how you gonna rob somebody, take yeah. their car and all their clothes? Yeah. Just cause, you know, that's some thug ass shit. And yeah. you know, um, so that that's kind of what what rocked the cradle. Yeah, uh, but I I got into the older hip hop heads because once I started listening to hip hop and my mother found out, she kind of sent my uncle. Mm-hmm who was her brother-in-law and is an emissary. And so he was trying to put me onto like the old school and I really appreciate my Uncle Rob. Shout out Uncle Rob. Uh, because he put me onto like Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, When LL Cool J first started and let the record show, and no disrespect to the man, I don't know the man, but speaking as the artist, I was never impressed with LL Cool J. I was mm. just kind of like, all right, rock the bells. Okay, mama's gonna knock you out. Cool. Yeah. But when you, when you got people like Big Daddy Kane uh, the fat boys where, mm-hmm. um, and, and, uh, heavy D, yeah, you know? Yeah. Okay. And these, these are quick witted type people, but mm-hmm. they also put me on to like the old, old school, um, like African Kurt- Bambada. Oh yeah. No, Curtis, Curtis Blow. Blow. Yeah. Yes. Curtis Blow for real. Um, Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5. Yeah. You know, uh, and lo- I mean, again, uh, no disrespect to the people, but I do not, I've never, ever acknowledged the Beastie Boys. And people mm. were always trying to be like, oh, this is rap. And I'm like, no, the fuck it's not. Ask the Beastie <laughs> Boys themselves. They'll tell you they're punk rock. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 Run DMC is the black Beastie Boys to me. Like, they're barely hip hop. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, how can you say that? They're legends. And I'm like, just because you do it first True. doesn't mean you do it right. True. You know what I mean? And uh, they, I don't really get behind the materialism in mm-hmm. hip-hop because I feel like that was something that came in the late 80s right. early 90s when it got more uh, industrialized right and that kind of separated hip-hop from rap to yeah. me you know yeah. so there's differences between MCs and rappers in my opinion yeah 
Because yeah, so. and I think what like both those Beastie Boys, even LL Cool J, I think mm-hmm. it showed like the uh, different branches that hip hop was brooding into, right? Because obviously it did start with like Curtis Blow types and right. you know trying to like control like MC the crowd type of thing, mm-hmm. like for parties that kind of stuff. But Absolutely. definitely they branched out to. I think LL Cool J was more his swagger, right? Like his his persona and the way he carried himself. I, obviously, like he couldn't go bar for bar. LL Cool J. I think LL Cool J was the first Drake. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was yeah, the very. I, I think he was one of the first rappers that was engineered to appeal mm. to the female audience, okay. and that really started to develop yeah. in the later of the '80s and yeah. into the '90s. Because after his long freaking feud with Cool Mo D, mm-hmm. I think that you know he had to find another avenue because it got stale. Like that's one of the longest rap beefs of all time, where they just kept going back and forth on records, and, and kind of got stale. And to me, LL is not. The punchline god. He's not the battle rapper. He's not, you know what I mean? He is definitely swagger Mm -hmm. in the style. You know, he was very much, um, I think, a a prodigy in his own right because Mm -hmm. he kind of lane switched during his career a lot. Um, But anyway, that's enough hip hop headedness (laughs) because I could do this all day. No, I say this is fun too. I'm a big hip hop nerd. I have the whole like little periodic table. I don't know if you ever got. I was looking at it, bro. I keep keep pushing and looking at it, but I don't want to get distracted from what's happening here. This is the same thing as why I turned my phone off. But I kept looking at it. It was like the periodic table of hip hop. Yeah, it's a book and it it goes like historically, like starts from like earlier roots. Uh, I can't read the like George Clinton is on that first like the first yeah lady you got of, James Brown to the mm-hmm. top far right and right. then you got like in the later sides mm-hmm. there's like Kanye West over here Nicki Minaj yeah. Chief Keef so the book was written Timbaland in, Warren G yeah like yeah. 2011 or 2010 I want to say I I, this shit? yeah is I can't Drake on there Drake is not on there that's crazy cool this is before he he blew up like that you know this yeah you got DJ Screw on there yeah okay you got Raul live. That's cool. Well, real life. Oh, yeah. my bad. My, my <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, before yeah. I get distracted. No, you're good. But yeah, yeah, I just, I had a lot of fun reading that book because it does give who, a little... Who wrote uh, it? I couldn't tell you off the name. It's, okay. No, it's kind was, of a weird name. Yeah, I was wondering if it was, um, because Karis one has the hip hop Bible. Yes. You know, oh, Karis one, that's one of my, bro. you know, bro, seriously. Yeah. Ah, Karis one. That, I feel like... If I had to choose a mentor in the rap game, that, that would probably be who I'd go to. Yeah. Have you ever seen him perform? I've, I've opened for him twice. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. I got to freestyle with him both times as That's well. That's hella dope. At mm-hmm. the observatory or? No, they were uh, smaller shows, um, but I have performed at the observatory um, for some more relevant names. Okay. But he didn't have he didn't have the, the, uh, the pull for the observatory at the time, and... Um, when he was coming back around, you know, he's a very grassroots hip hop type motherfucker. Yeah. So, um, we did uh, the damn it. It's a there's it's a Mexican mex- restaurant, but it also has like the club downstairs, like it's a basement ass. Mm, in Fullerton or where? It's Santa in Santana. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. Y'all Com- know. It's not Copper Door. Comments. No, 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 not the <laughs> Copper Door. There's like another one where there's the the Latin restaurant yeah it's right there which they have a little spot where you can come in and like perform but then they also have next door mm-hmm. which now is, is it that chapter? Is chapter? That... oh no i don't know i don't know I could anyway play. i'm not out a lot <laughs> that was one of the places that yeah. was one of the places and then the other one was um marty's on newport oh yeah, yeah. before was it back on newport back then because he it wasn't yes right oh you mean the newport and mcfadden yeah, I thought that was why it was called Marty's on Newport. True, yeah, but they moved it, my bad. Like, they, Have they moved it? Yeah, it's oh, not dude. there anymore. Oh, wow. It hasn't been there in like a year or two. 
Well, that does that does match up with the timeline. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did I, I did the very first hip hop show there uh-huh. um, because they were more like um, super small venue, but it yes, was nice. It was they fun. they did more um, rock shows, punk shows, and a lot of um, Latin Latin music. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Baby Bash thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually um, I got to meet Baby Bash in Arizona Ooh, okay. at the um, Lowrider show. Okay. I had performed there as well. It was a big ass motherfucking concert. They had Earth, Wind, and Fire there, Ooh. bro. It was crazy. They had um, uh, not King Lil G, but the the other guy, Cap G, mm. right? Okay, Polo G, no, okay, Cap G, uh, the Mexican cat, no, not familiar. Well, he was popping at the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, man, rappers be coming and going. Let me tell yeah. you, but I think he's still around, man. He's he's I fucked with him. I got to meet him too. I don't do the picture thing. Like, I think that's fucking weird for me. For yeah. me. As an artist, I think it's weird to take pictures with other artists. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, if you don't really know them. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Pop pictures. I don't do that shit. Right, right. So, um, people were like, oh, you want a picture and stuff? And I was just like, nah, let's just chop it up. Like, yeah. I, I'd much rather talk to people, like, see yeah. like, who they are rather yeah. than just endorse them off of some clout. Like, fuck yeah. all that. That's weird. And that's that's how I felt too, because I, I I last year I did get a chance to go to the Real Street Fest, and there was mm. like a line to take a picture with the Big Boy, and I remember like that's weird. Yeah, and like Big Boy's always been an idol of mine, and you he's know, dope. I, shout out Big Boy. Yeah, shout out to Big Boy. Shout out everybody on the Dungeon Family. Fuck that. <laughs> Let's go. Anyway. And I remember I got to him, and like I like he asked me like how you doing, and I we had like a good little like minute and a half conversation, right? And I remember, like, so you want the picture? And I was like, oh, yeah. like, But it, it completely, like, it slipped your mind. in my head, yeah. I was like, yeah. I didn't go up there for the picture. Like, it, it didn't really matter to me if I got the picture or not. Yeah. Just, like, in, like meeting him, you know, chopping it up with him. Even if it was for a brief sec, I thought mm-hmm. it was more important. And so I can kind of relate to that. But going back to KRS-One, still the best show. I would say, like, one of the best shows, if not the best show I've ever been to, was a $5 show mm-hmm. at the Observatory. It was, uh, he wasn't even headlining. It was Slick Rick. But Slick Rick sucked that night. Like, I don't know if he was, like, drunk or something. He just was not even into it. Yeah. But right before him was KRS-One. Mm-hmm. So he was attached before him. And uh, it was cool because as he was performing his songs, he would give, like, little lectures in between. Absolutely. And That's was, a teacher, bro. Yeah, exactly. KRS stands for Knowledge Reign Supreme. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Yeah. That's and, why I fuck with him so Yeah. Hard. And so it was, it was cool because I don't know if he does it you know, based off the geographic location he's at, but he talked about, like, the history of Santa Ana yes, in Orange County. And obviously, like, this was all Mexico. And mm-hmm. I, I just felt like he could have definitely, like, stirred some people up to, mm-hmm. you know, do some things that night. And it, and was, that's, it was that's, fun. That's why I love him is yeah. because he actually does his homework. He yeah. doesn't come through on some fake shit. And no disrespect to Slick Rick. You know, that's still the ruler, you know. <laughs> but this is why I stopped doing shows mm-hmm. for old school, um, you know, legends and shit. Because I did... And I'm going to put you on blast. You know, don't fucking do this. I'm going to put you on blast. I, I, so I did um, the, uh, the Beat Nuts. Right? Oh, okay, yeah. And these, and then we did an observatory. Yeah. Okay, we were in the constellation room, and these motherfuckers were so fucking drunk. I remember standing there being so livid, like, yeah. bro, I came to see y'all. Yeah. You know, obviously I was performing, but it, you know, I stayed to watch yeah. the headliners because I fuck with them like that. Yeah. You know, um, and it was just so disappointing. And so I talked to the team at the time, and I was like, bro, I'm not doing this shit again. Yeah. You know, if it's gonna be somebody, it better be somebody good. And I think. The only time I broke that rule was to, um, I'm not even going to tell the story, but it was, it was another, it was another all rapper stars. that was kind of like an old school all-star, but kind of like C, C-list. Mm. And it was a free show 
and it was kind of getting in good graces again with the uh, with the promoters in the area. Yeah. Mostly with one promoter that we I had worked with, and, and I still love this dude. You know, shout out to Droops, I love you, man. But uh, it was a free show, and I remember talking to Droops after and being like, "Bro, what the fuck, man?" You know, and he was like, "Bro, I don't, I don't know." Like, and he really like vouched for the dude and okay. I had never heard of him and when I and I do my research if I've never heard of you I'm gonna do my research and if yeah. I like what I what I like what I hear I like what I see right cool so go and I was like man this dude's catalog's crazy yeah he got this person and this person on tracks this person and this person but I wasn't really impressed with his rapping skills yeah and when he came out he was disappointed with the turnout mm. and was just went into talking shit mode mm. and he's from East LA and he was in OC at the time. So okay. he started talking shit about OC. Okay, okay. And I was like, bro, what the fuck? Like, this ain't your city, bro. Like, you can't just pull up and do shit like this. Yeah, yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. And he had no entourage, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. He was very, <laughs> he had no set list. He had one point in time, he's like, oh, what do I want to do? What do I want to do walking around? He told people in the crowd not to do hip hop if they wanted to live a, a good life. He told people that, um, damn. He told us that OC will never be as great as LA. Sheesh. He yeah. He was hitting all the best Bro, jams yeah, for get your fuck? ass kicked in the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was like, this is your fucking guy? Yeah. This is the champion that you brought? And I was like, why the fuck did I do this show? Yeah. I was so mad. And I was like, if I'm better than a headliner, I should be the headliner. Yeah. That's just my mentality. Yeah. And uh, going back to why I don't take pictures with artists is because I view myself in the same lane as these other people. Yeah. You know, trying to do something for the position of clout or opportunism is not going to build your brand, your craft, or your talent. Right. You know, so I think that a lot of people get that twisted. Um, I said all that to say I don't, I don't really endorse anybody anymore mm-hmm. unless I know them, unless I fuck with them, because I don't like having surprises at shows mm-hmm. like that. I've had plenty of surprises at shows. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a shitty surprise, though. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been some shitty surprises. Um, there's there's been some things that didn't go my way or how I wanted it to go. But that's that's life, man. Yeah. Um, I had already had twenty years of performance under my belt, and it's not like oh, you know, rinky dink performances. Like I was setting up shows for the military. Yeah. You know, the military army band. I was putting them shits together. I was performing on a daily basis. Oh, shit. So I was fine-tuned, ready to go. And at the time, I would always check back on the scene. Every time I came out from the military from Colorado, I would link up with my crew. We'd talk about what's going on, who's doing what, and how to better, you know, take hold of our area so that we can blow up uh, here first and then spread outwards. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't until later that I learned that it's always about people putting you on in different places mm-hmm. you know gaining notoriety someplace else automatically is gonna build notoriety back home right because people are gonna be like oh well he's from here you know or you know he started over here mm-hmm. so i stopped repping um orange county and just started repping anaheim only mm-hmm. um because that's where i'm from even though i've been to all the other cities in orange county well almost all of them i don't i don't go too far south <laughs> yeah, I need to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, at that point, you just lost in the hills and you're just like, where? Yeah, it's a, it's a completely different county at Bro, this point. It's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. I actually worked for the Irvine Company, mm-hmm. which is, uh, if you know Orange County, you know about the Irvine Company. Um, they pretty much decide what's what and what goes where. They're like they, yeah. the OC supervisors for the entire 
fucking county. Mm-hmm. But that's all I'm gonna say about that. It's just uh, Orange County is a different place. It's a very strange place. It's very difficult mm-hmm. for people of color um, and, and LGBTQ out here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as it's not as um, diverse as it is in LA. Yeah. Uh, even though it is, because I hate saying that. Even though it is, it's just it's not as recognized. Right. Like everybody's like all the ethnicity it happens at some time. You know what I mean? But I think there's ethnicity too, even like in Tustin and those some cities oh, like definitely. south with like Middle Easterns, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, I think they're very secluded and they don't go out as much, right? And, and so they're not tight circles, man. Right, exactly tight circles. Right. There's a, like a big Asian population down yes. there too, as well. Absolutely. You know, that really conserve their money and they're doing really well mm-hmm. business wise. They're just not out and about flaunting it, kind of right. thing. Or but you, I, you go to like places like uh, Brea and um, uh, Buena Park, yeah, where there's a, a very strong Vietnamese presence. Yeah, you know, and Korean they have. Too. Oh yeah. yeah, oh most definitely. I mean, they have entire fucking blocks where it's just like you can't read anything of this unless yeah. you squint because the English isn't small yeah, and yeah. everything big is in their in their foreign right. in their natural language. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's beautiful. I think that it would be nice to see something like that for African American people or Samoan people. Like mm-hmm. even though people say Barson, shout out Barson, city of Carson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's pretty much where a lot of Samoan people are at. But mm-hmm. there's a big Samoan population and African American population in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Anaheim has the largest African American population in all of Orange County. Really? Yeah. Okay. So fun facts there. There you go. But uh, I just wish I wish we would see more of that championing for the ethnicity. You know, mm-hmm. um, really putting the standard of this is what we should aspire to. Yeah. You know? Um, rather than whatever, like it's a toss up. You know, yeah. we understand that the black diaspora is a misplaced people and it's hard to trace back roots and, and find stuff, but that stuff lives on through us. And right. We need to embrace it and, and be who we are mm-hmm. uh, ethnically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would just be nice if people got along more. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's another thing. You yeah. mentioned roots. Have you ever done like some digging and, you know, backtrack to where your roots are from? My parents. Are very tight-lipped okay. about the history and then I found that my grandparents are also very tight-lipped from the black side I got we're from the south and then just kind of left it at that because ah. all the other stories from the south is about like the KKK yeah it's just like you could see the trauma on these really people's faces. Say, yeah. yeah bro and it's just like they did not want to talk about that shit mm-hmm. so when they relocated to uh, Southern California um, they were just like you know we're gonna be the entertainment mm-hmm. black people you know what I mean nobody in my family actually really made it to that that level of startup because mm-hmm. I'm going to do it um, but uh, they really wanted to start fresh that, my, my parents and my family was a very like start fresh thing, pe- types of people yeah um, my parents especially because my father even though he was raised in the Fa Samoa, the, tra- the traditional Samoan way, mm-hmm. he married a Maoli girl. He married a black girl, mm-hmm. you know, and he was not supposed to do that. Yeah. All of his other brothers and sisters married Samoans, mm-hmm. you know, to keep the culture alive and the ethnicity um, and the stature and the um, the legacy mm-hmm. that our name has. So he kind of threw a left ball, a curveball at, at a lot of people, and um, mm-hmm. his parents didn't take too kindly to that. And it, it took my mom. A, a while to kind of win her way into the family and even then um, she's a very opinionated woman mm-hmm. uh, again they're very conservative so at certain points you know there would be clashes of interest and opinion right uh, based off of uh, religious standpoint lifestyle yeah. choices so on and so forth so we were kind of removed we were all over here in Orange County and all of our family was in San Diego um, 
so we never really spent a whole lot of time culturally mm-hmm. you know digging into that and I've always asked questions but my parents were very busy you know raising three boys in a very very expensive county so yeah it was it was a lot you know I appreciate my parents for everything that they've done and um, I don't have any malice for them it's just that we're we're different people and mm-hmm. we don't always get along <laughs> yeah but props to your pops, man. I feel like that's it's tough to go against the family standard, right? Bro, I have and, so much love for my pops. Yeah, because I think there's a movie, and I forgot what it's. I think it's called like a family wedding, where mm-hmm. it's like the Hispanic daughter marrying a black man, mm-hmm. and it's like Forrest Whitaker's the dad, obviously on one side, and then Carlos Mencia's the dad on the other side. I saw that. Yeah, and I but I thought it like that was a good movie, and I haven't seen a lot of movies like that where they talk about the cultural differences mm-hmm. and how like both fathers had to let go of like their deep down resentment for their child choosing someone outside of their ethnicity or outside of their culture and race but it's you know i think like you know at the end of the day like love is love like it doesn't matter it shouldn't matter and i think you know as the older generation gets older and like more you see more mixed relationships mixed babies mixed stuff like that hopefully you know people are more accepting you know i I would like to think but i just feel like yeah definitely like we still come from that generation where Mm. like very it looked down upon if we we didn't stick with what we knew or what was around us you know oh yeah no see i never got that because i grew up as a mixed boy and i grew up in you know primarily anaheim and and uh spent a lot of time in santa Ana. so it was it was different you know i was was always the black kid Mm -hmm. you know or the other kid you know what i mean so it was a big disconnect from my ethnicity and my culture and my heritage for a very long time mm-hmm. until I researched it myself. Um, I stuck mostly to my African-American heritage because it was more there. Yeah. Most of the Samoan history is written by white people. Okay. And then the traditional stuff is passed down orally. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get somebody to talk to you, like it's not going to happen. Bro, yeah. Bro. So I recently went to Las Vegas to see my grandparents because they came inland for the first time in like, I don't know, 15 years or some shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked him about it, and he's like, and my grandfather was like, I'm tired. <laughs> and uh-huh. I was just like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I had to do a lot of research on my own. Um, but I really enjoyed growing up in uh, Dorasa, like learning about the Latin cultures that were around me because I'm not an assimilated person or somebody who believes that I'll be better liked if I become something else. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather be informed about who I am yeah. in an area that. I'm surrounded in the culture, you know, I'm mm-hmm. gonna learn about this culture and it, it was it was unavoidable, you know mm-hmm. um, The Mexican people that I grew up with, you know, very lively people. There's always celebrations mm-hmm. You know, there's always uh, there's always something going on I got a lot of some of my best work from Mexican people mm-hmm. and uh, work ethics and things that I've learned Yeah, a Mexican taught me plumbing a Mexican taught me irrigation a Mexican taught me so that that's like to me as much as as much as I'm not a Mexican person or not part of the Latin culture, it's still very much a part of my life. Yeah. You know, you can't avoid it if you live in Southern California. You're going to yeah. run into the, the, the culture out here. Yeah. And I think that it's better to respect and learn than to dismiss and isolate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, shit, fuck it. Like, <laughs> I'm wearing my gear right now, but... Oh, okay. Fucking, Brown Excellence shirt. You know Hell what I'm saying? yeah. I got one too. Shout out yeah. to you, though. Yeah, I, I think that's... But your experience right there is so important. You being of a different ethnicity and then being immersed in Latino, like, neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that opens your mind to, you know, venture things. And that's the way the way you are as an adult. I think the problem sometimes with, like, you know, sectioning off... It, white flight still happens, right? 
Mm. And so, like, people section themselves off. And it doesn't have to be white people. It could be anybody, right? right? They oh, section yeah. themselves off to different communities so that their people of their culture, their ethnicity, their religion are the only people they know. Exactly. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we're tight, like, in this. But anytime they leave outside, they have, like, already pre-prejudice, right, mm. or discrimination. And sometimes it may not even be major, but it's just because of lack of exposure. Right. They don't mean any ill will. They're not like down at heart of racist they're just like well I've never grown up around them so I don't know their experiences mm-hmm. I only listen to what the news tells me and if exactly. the news tells me that people from Mexico bring over crime etc cetera, etc cetera, and the president's saying that too that's what they're gonna believe fuck Donald Trump yeah no and but it's it's that's that's an experience though right exactly. like we well, need more integrated neighborhoods yeah and, to, it, and so it, it was it was happening before the Donald as well like right, they, yeah. they tried to blame marijuana on Mexican people mm-hmm. you know the Zoot Suit riots of the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. you know um, there's a lot of history bro like it's there's so much and the history back in the day black and brown were like this mm-hmm. there was no distinguishing or separation between right. us because when all the the developing of the company the country was happening um there was a lot of wars with the Mexican people, and it and it was mostly the white people fighting the Mexican people. You have right. the Franco-Mexican War. You have the Mexican-American War. Yeah, uh, you know, wars in 1912 and such. Yeah, and uh, the Louisiana Purchase was is a fucking forgery. It's it's stupid. Like mm-hmm. you can't pay another people who live in a different country for land that belongs to the people that are already there. Yeah. Anyway, we're not even <laughs> gonna get into that, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, California, Arizona, Texas, that's still Mexico. Yeah. Like, tripping. 100%, tripping. right? Yeah. Tripping. Look yeah. at, look at, look at I, I hate when, like, white people, not even white people, but just people right. who are like, go back to where you came from, right? Well, whoever the city may be. But then there's, like, cities like Los Angeles or mm-hmm. Palo Alto, you know, like, these... All these cities in California are named in Spanish. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> that, should tell you, that should tell you Yeah, something. exactly. That should be like a, you know, <laughs> I right. don't know. And the Wild West, especially Los Angeles, was built up by black and brown people. There were no white cowboys. Mm-hmm. Cowboys took care of the cows. They were ranch hands. That yeah. was not a desirable job for a white person. And mm-hmm. I hate using the word white people or the words white people because there is no white people. Mm-hmm. There is no white culture. Mm-hmm. You know, there are Caucasian people and right. people of Euro, uh, yeah, European descent, descent yeah. people who are of the uh, Middle Eastern descent and whatever, but, you know, you have roots that mm-hmm. you can trace back. True. Black as a culture was created for us, and then we took it and flipped it because mm-hmm. it was created by white people. Right. White was created when black was created because they needed a distinguishing factor. Yeah. Even though you could clearly see that our melanin differences mm-hmm. weren't the same, they... They brought this rhetoric mm-hmm. with something called eugenics, mm-hmm. and that was the belief that if you came from a white descent, like Euro ethnic or of the uh, the Baltic areas, or in the uh, the the Roman Germanic tribes back mm-hmm. in the day, you were superior, yeah. which is just stupid. It doesn't. Yeah. There's no factual basis on it. Right. But because. The people at the time, European people and people in power, they spread that shit like wildfire because they wanted to have an excuse for more expansion, for more um, military campaigns, Mm -hmm. you know, because they wanted uh, later on after the Dark Ages, they were like, oh, well, we can't do it like that anymore. So we had to find another way to do it. So Mm -hmm. they still had their secondary inquisition, which is what I call it, the secondary inquisition when they came to the new world and started converting all of the ethnic and indigenous peoples yeah you know and those were native americans those mm-hmm. were 
Aztec, Native American, Mayan, yeah, the yeah. Native American, Aztec, and, and Mayan descent. There were the indigenous peoples that had traveled upward from right. so, the South Americas right. and from Mexico and, and all of the the wondrous places that give this this land so much flavor right. and depth and beauty. You know, and these people were caretakers of the land. Yeah, they were. They were, were married. Nature, they yeah. were. They were married to their country, like yeah. for real. Like they knew what they were doing. And now you see things like forest fires because of all this brush buildup. Because mm-hmm. there's no controlled burns like they used to do ritualistically. Because they knew it was part of the land. Right. And these people came over with their beliefs and like, oh, you savages, stop setting things on fire. What are you yeah. doing? You're crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know. And it's just a, you know, it's just a. Going back to what we we're talking about, just that lack. Of association, you know, and it's just like we're human beings. We should try, at the very least, to be civil and understand why it is that somebody does something yeah. before we condemn them for doing it. Yeah, you know and I, mean? I think I think Western civilization has made us lost our ways. Going back to being one with the land, you know, mm. like all the natives and even like a lot of Eastern civilizations, right? People from China and other various Asian countries. I think they're more like in tune with nature or their soul or like just different stuff. And I, you always remember reading about like indigenous people, like. When they killed an animal, like every single part of the animal exactly. had a purpose, right? Whether it was right. made as a coat or, you know, jerky for that part, you know, right. making meat on that part, the, the bones, bones as a weapon. Tools, yeah. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? Like there was, they didn't waste anything mm-hmm. and everything had a purpose. And it was always because they cared so much about the land. And I feel like, you know, through centuries and centuries of like Western, you know, colonization, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, it definitely like now to us today, like, you know, people just throw away trash on the ground. It's like, Fuck it, it, you know? it bothers me so yeah, much. It does. I get on my pe- I get on my people's head for littering like all the time. Yeah, all the time. I right. get on people for wasting food and shit. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I try not to. If I'm a guest in somebody's home, I'm not gonna say shit. But if you're at my house, yeah, and you do that shit, I'm I'm a pressy because it's like, bro, if you do that at home, understand that is not the way here. Yeah. Like I've got on people for farting in my room and shit. And I'm just, they're like, it's just a fart. I was like, it may be just a fart for you, but I fucking live here. Yeah, like, I'm not gonna live in your farts, bro. I have a perfectly good bathroom. And then outside, you know, yeah, yeah. don't even excuse yourself. Like, I don't understand some people's like, they just believe they're Manners, entitled to yeah. be rude and mm-hmm. shit. And I'll slap the fuck out of you. I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm a I nice like guy. I'm reasonable. Yeah. But disrespect is one of my hot buttons. People mm-hmm. know that. I will whoop your ass over some disrespect. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think a lot of times, too, like, I, I think, uh, like, a lot of times we, because we live in the city, right? We're like, mm-hmm. we're limited to how many stars we can see. But yes. I also think, too, just like a lack of exposure to things. I, like when you see those floating fucking islands of trash, like plastic in the ocean, Dude. that's yeah, like trash islands. I feel like people bigger than Texas now. Yeah, people don't see that, right? But mm-hmm. if you showed everyone that, like, I think feel, people would feel a different way about it. Maybe not everyone, but I think you get a larger chunk of people to care more about the trash issue and recycling, etc. Using more recyclable goods and stuff like that. But it's America's idea of recycling is just kind of backwards. We yeah. we we have to get on the wave of like Switzerland where mm-hmm. they have a 0% trash output because mm-hmm. everything and I mean everything is recycled properly yeah. you know what I mean landfills is not recycling right the landfills we're literally digging holes and just putting as much trash in it as possible it's crazy that's like filling mother mother earth's pores which mm-hmm. is shit you know it's, it's, it's terrible you know. And that's just not biodegradable. Like no. styrofoam, no. it's sometimes still, I get why like those mom and pop shops, I don't even get honestly, but like there's so much research out there and like statistics saying styrofoam is like crazy bad for the environment. Oh, yeah. You dig it and it doesn't compose, right? 
but like there's still you know all the like little diners and all the little like greek owned places they also use styrofoam cups and it's cheaper man yeah it is but that sucks you know i feel like you know where it's all about money like you said it's cheaper Mm -hmm. well that's america baby yeah that's america that's what the the real america dream is is that yeah it's it's unbridled capitalism and i think this is my thing is i don't think capitalism is bad i think that unbridled capitalism there's no checks to it you know there's mm-hmm. no caps there's no redis a proper redistribution of wealth mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and and it should be that way um and states should hold their own weight but at the same time as we are a complete union in the united states of america the distribution has to happen equally yeah and it hasn't and that's that's part of why we are where we are in mm-hmm. the uh, socio-political realm right now mm-hmm. um People are starting to wake up and like, hey, man, this isn't fair. Like, we need to even even this out now. Mm-hmm. Like, something has to happen. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> beyond that, I, I I think that we're all people. Yeah. And we all experience a lot, of, a lot more similar things than different. Right. And if we just kind of got off of our high horse of nationality or ethnicity or whatever people hold as their pride Mm -hmm. and just you know humbled yourself just a little bit let your ego rest a little bit learn something open your mind be a child again yeah yeah practice having an imagination right you know and i hate rhetoricals but you make them wild if you're gonna have a rhetorical make that shit crazy as fuck Mm -hmm. i don't care if it's unreal but flex your brain sometimes yeah but i think so i work with kids and i work in like the school system and districts and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and i from what I've seen is like they kind of limit that in our typical school system and the curriculum and they're yep. taking away more and more art programs each year so I think we are losing a little bit of that creativity that losing especially like at least I work in Santa Ana Garden Grove mm-hmm. so you know typically like working class backgrounds right their parents come from so they're already instilling those kids to do the same thing to be like you know work, yeah. working nine to fives at basic factory jobs and not even really I mean, now they're starting to push more college, but I feel like when I was in school, they didn't really push that, you know, and it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're going to be like an assembly line worker. Like, this is what we're gearing you up for. Absolutely. Don't think for yourself. You have this way to do it. Don't think about anything else. And, you know, cookie cutter kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I hated school. Yeah, I hated it, too. Right. And, you know, now working with kids, I try and be as branch as far as away from that as I can in my own little way. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just. Like you said, thinking for yourself and flexing your brain, right? Like, we all have creative ideas, but at a certain... I work with, like... I've been working with middle schoolers a lot, but this year, because of the pandemic, middle schools are um, hesitant to reopen. We opened up elementary schools. And it's fun to watch these, like, second and third graders because they're so creative and they're so imaginative. Mm -hmm. And it's before, like, whatever happens at a certain age for different people, but it gets suppressed, right? A lot of times whether it's middle school or puberty we like push those things down we're scared we're scared to branch out we're scared to express ourselves truly and uh it's kind of i don't know it's kind of shitty like how do we reverse that i agree it's uh i i I don't know if it can be reversed yeah i think that it has to be aborted completely like we have to stop doing that Mm -hmm. just stop telling kids to grow up like bitch it's unavoidable (laughs) motherfucker what what are you talking about you know what i mean it's we have to stop trying to mature our children. Yeah. We have to allow them to be explorative. We have to allow them to make mistakes. We have to allow them to ask questions. We shouldn't silence them because kids mm-hmm. tell us more about ourselves than we realize because mm-hmm. they're sponges. So yeah. they just inherit Lord. all of this yeah. knowledge and all of this information from around them. And I think that children process things differently than adults do. Mm-hmm. There's less filters for them. 
you know, and uh, I think that that is important at the young age so that they they realize how the world is moving around them, what's affecting them directly. You yeah. know what I mean? And a lot of times, kids believe everything affects them directly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they're, they're children. For what their awareness allows them to to hold right now is that this is the world as I see it. You know, mm-hmm. at, at, at the young age, it's very hard for them to try and see it from another person's perspective. Yeah. You know, um, but it's important for them to develop that consciousness of others themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, of course we want to guide them and whatnot. And I don't think that the school system nurtures the creativity and the critical thinking yeah. that they should, you know? Yeah. Crazy. How yeah. do we even get onto this? Is we were talking fun? about you were working in the school district. Yeah, and no, we I mean, like, dating back from the beginning, though. Like, and, and we were talking about imagination <laughs> yeah. and how children, uh, they see things differently. But, yeah. you know, it hits home because I have a son, um, and he just started what I call real school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's six, so he started first grade. Kindergarten oh, sure. is kind of like, you know, the old past grade. Yeah. Get you ready. But he was ready for school. That's dope. Uh, before, he was he was all amped to go. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's wonderful to see because we've had the zoom classes and whatnot and he's been with us uh, for the entirety of the time up until i got infected with coronavirus you know i didn't want to infect my kids so yeah you know, his uh his mom is not letting him come back until i get two negatives and i was like well that's not how it works because i can test positive for up to three months even though i'm not contagious and yeah you know but because yeah, antibodies stay in you right yeah yeah but uh I, it was wonderful to see him as a student because you know usually you wouldn't get that chance to just sit in your child's class and watch yeah. them learn and, and uh, yeah how they interact with you know right obviously it's virtual so it's not the same right i get what you're saying and that's my thing is like it was beautiful to see because my son is definitely a leader like he oh, shit. yeah he was they had small groups and i was like how the fuck are you gonna put six-year-olds in groups un- unadvised right, right? Un- un- uh, like, what do you think is gonna happen yeah, but he was keeping everybody on task and everything and, like, getting oh, the work shit. done. And I was just so fucking proud. I was yeah. so proud. But he's very much my son. Like, he'll do the minimum work available <laughs> just to get through the shit. And yeah. I don't blame him because, you know, it's just busy work. Yeah. And kids kind of know that. They want to do things that are more important to them, like spend time with their friends. Yeah. Go out and play. Spend time with their family. So on and so mm-hmm. forth. You know, these, these little things aren't as important. Uh, so I'm trying to get him into the studious mindset you know mm-hmm. why is this important why are people teaching this to you mm-hmm. why are they telling you you need to learn this you know because once you master it and they can't teach you anything anymore guess what you just gotta do whatever you want yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean just do your work you'll be able to knock it out really quickly and that's why I tell them I was like the sooner you get done with your work and if it's done properly we can do whatever yeah you know but uh, yeah my, my poor little boy he got to OCD not OCD um, ADHD oh, not the Yang so focusing is really difficult for him. Yeah. But he he, he does his damnedest, you know. I'm yeah. very proud of my son right now. Is he on any medication or anything? No, I refuse. Okay. I refuse because okay. like, you're going to have to learn to deal with this because this is not going away. Yeah. This is going to be with your life. You have to learn focus. You have to learn how to combat your disorder. Yeah. You know, I'm very much an advocate for that rather than just putting stuff in your body that you don't know what these side effects will do. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, my godson, he's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, he has ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, you know, no one has had the experience in our family of 
you know, having a nephew or niece or a son that is ADHD, right? Mm. So it was all kind of a shock. And obviously as a kid, like he had so much energy and he did a lot of mischievous things, but I don't think he was a bad kid. Right. But he got like labeled as a bad kid. And then, you know, he got put on these medications and, you know, he's, he's changed a lot, right? And he's very like, almost like too cookie cutter sometimes. That's how I would describe him. And, uh, and it's almost like he's lost a little bit of himself. And he's 10 now and he does really good in school now, which is something I like to see because, you know, I think he... I think six, seven, like first and second grade, he he wasn't hadn't been tested yet. He mm-hmm. wasn't on anything, and he really struggled with school. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, he sacrifices a lot of like himself and his true self for what to be good at school now and be good at these grades. And I don't know, it's it's weird. He's still young, you know. I'm not ruling anything out yet, but I right. just it's weird to see that adjustment because it is the first experience in our family and having someone so close. And you know, he really looks up to me. I like spending a lot of time with him, but it's. You know, in the past five years, he's changed so much where it's like, whoa, like, right. what are you going to be like in another five years, you know? So here's here's my thing. Um, I don't want to discredit uh, behavioral disorders. Mm-hmm. However, I think that the human spirit and ability is stronger mm-hmm. than these disorders. Yeah. Because we've been having to survive for how long that the human species has been around and we adapt yeah. and we overcome. That's what we do. That's what we're seeing now with the coronavirus yeah. and the lock-in epidemic. Um, I believe medicating children before puberty is very dangerous because you never know how you're affecting the brain's development. And I think that it's, and I don't, I don't want to step on too many toes here, but I just think that it's, it's not right for the child. Yeah. You know, I think in my opinion, having ADD or ADHD doesn't mean that you're bad at focusing or you're a terrible person or a bad kid Mm -hmm. or bad with studies. It just means your brain processes things a lot faster. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to slow down. And you'll notice that a lot of people who have ADHD or ADD, they talk really fast. They're mm-hmm. looking everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just their brain takes in and processes that information just at a quicker rate. So they can do things faster. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to complete them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, things like discipline, thing, things like... Uh, Moderation. These are things that we have to learn. These mm-hmm. aren't things that are instilled in us. So just like children, these are things that that challenge us throughout life. Uh, and to put somebody on a drug just to be like, okay, we took care of that problem. It's like the illustration with the cartoon character is 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 getting shot at, you know, and in the boat, and then these holes are popping up, and they keep trying to plug one hole, and oh, another man. one pops over here, and yeah. another one pops over there. You know what I mean? And I, and it was like, bro, learn to swim. Like, get the fuck out the boat. Yeah, yeah. Learn to swim. I yeah, it's that, scary. Yeah. There's sharks around or whatever. And, but honestly, you're going to sink anyway. So eventually you're going to be in this water. So, yeah. uh, if only the people in the Titanic knew that. <laughs> no, you're fucked. They no, went there yeah, in they're... some very cold water. Like, yeah. in, in the span of about 15 seconds, their muscles would freeze and yeah. they would just sink to the bottom. That's like, they were crazy. fucked. There yeah. was no way. Yeah. Yeah. That was not supposed to be. Yeah. Iceberg. <laughs> Yeah, if you know that this this amount of ice can live in this body of water, you know you know that you cannot. Right. <laughs> exactly. We're, we are warm blooded. <laughs> so going back to more of your music, this year you dropped a project, Black Joker. What I was, dropped two projects this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your most recent project. You can talk about that one right. first, and your the, the earlier one. But right. what was the inspiration behind the name Black Joker and some of the visuals that you had behind it? I am a huge Batman fan, mm-hmm. and I've always been obsessed with the Joker. Um, even more so, the inspiration for the Joker is a, um, a black and white noir called The Man Who Laughs. Mm-hmm. 
and it's fantastically creepy. I've always been drawn to the macabre and like dark shit because life is more dark than it is, you know, happy go lucky. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're we're more Christopher Nolan Batman than Adam West Batman. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? As much as we'd like it to be jeepers and you know, uh, onomatopoeia blocks and no violence, that's not real life. Yeah. Um, Joker always struck me uh, as relatable because nobody knew who he was nobody knew who the Joker was even to this day his his uh, identity is split between a few different uh, characteristics there's still not a proper origin story for the Joker what they decided as the canon was the Red Hood mm-hmm. but there's still a whole lot of other uh, conspiracy theories behind the Joker and what have you um the Joker signifies chaos. He signifies um, what I believe humanity to be, is that they laugh in your face, but they're really trying to fucking kill and rob you and take everything they can from yeah. you. So it was black Joker, because obviously Joker is depicted as a white man, mm-hmm. um, historically, but I think that black people can relate more to the Joker than white people can. Mm-hmm. You know, because the Joker's story, uh, based on the Red Hood mantra that we're going to go with here, is that he was down on his luck, and he was a, trying to be a comedian, but I wasn't paying the bills. His wife was pregnant. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to do this one mob job and just be set for life, you know, help the mob with this factory that I work in, Ace mm-hmm. Chemicals. And, you know, everything went wrong uh, before the job his wife dies mm-hmm. and he's like well there's no point in doing this anymore and he's just like yeah, I don't want to do it but the mob kind of muscles him into it you know Batman comes through and knocks him into the acid you know what I mean like you don't a lot of people just when they're introduced to the Joker he's already the clown prince you yeah. know, of crime and people are just like this guy is a terrible person but yeah. if you look at even the interpretation of Heath Ledger's Joker you know, uh, one of my favorite lines is, you know, he's like, I'm just a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I caught one, mm. you know, but that's, <laughs> that, yeah, that's, 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 he's on another level. You mm. know what I mean? When he gets his share of the money and then he lights it all on fire, mm. you know what I mean? He's, he's there to prove a point right. in, in humanity. And, uh, I just really, really vibed with that. And especially in the climate today. You know, and I talk a lot about the black diaspora and a lot of us not knowing our roots and our history. And that's what it feels like to a lot of us. Mm. Um, Personally, it also had a duality there personally is because I felt like, you know, we've learned we've dealt a lot into my past and my history here. Um, I really felt like I was wearing a mask and just trying to appease people, whether it was in my own house, Mm -hmm. at church, in the military. You know, I was I was hiding. I wasn't allowed to be myself, you know, so coming out as queer last year was one of the most liberating things I've ever done I was I was fucking scared yeah and I I couldn't even come out to my parents first I came out online first so my parents and my brothers found out secondary but they weren't super upset about it I guess um so I really think that a lot of people don't really know who I am at all Mm -hmm. and that's fine to me that's perfectly fine because that's an upper uh, upper hand for me that's an advantage I'd rather be the underdog than to be the guy who's most gunned for yeah and you know it's too late now it's yeah. too late now like i'm already well up on my way and so anybody who would have actually had a chance at stopping me before in the beginning of my career mm-hmm. it's too late yeah yeah you know, i've already I've already been here mm-hmm. already been the clown prince for a little bit um yeah. also uh i'm from anaheim and which if you're from orange county there's the synonymous you know 
and a slime and a crime. So yeah. you know, a lot of shit goes down there that a lot of people do not know about. It's right. very hidden. So, mm-hmm. you know, triple entendres, all of that. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot packed in there. If you listen to the songs, I think that it'll explain better than I ever could. Yeah. How did you feel about the Joaquin Phoenix? Uh, didn't describe? watch it. No, you didn't watch it? Did not watch it. Okay. Did, I was not interested. I was like, so there's no Batman. And they're like, no, it's not. It's yeah. supposed to be the Joker standalone from Batman, but it's like a real life version. And because of all the mental issues that I have, it hit too close to home for me. Mm. Because I was like, dude, that's me. One, that's one bad day for me. Like, yeah. I'm one bad day away from that. And I don't like repeating mm. that or saying that to myself because I don't... I, I feel like I'm a lot stronger yeah. than, I, than I was before. But that stuff like that is just... I don't understand it. it there's there's no need for it. Mm-hmm. it. It didn't really speak to the the vast history of the Joker. It was right. just like, let's just do this and take something new. And I was like, you're just being a directorial asshole. Yeah. So I'm used to that in, in the scene, the Hollywood scene or whatever, people just trying to recreate something that already exists. Exactly, yeah. I'm putting their own twist on it. You look at like but yeah, Heath Star Ledger, Wars. Heath Ledger over everybody. Okay. Um, I will say, uh, I will double back and say that Matt Hamill or even Luke Skywalker you know, <laughs> was my Joker before Heath Ledger came around. Mm. But Heath Ledger is, is my epitome of what the Joker is. Okay. Shit, alright. And then the project before that that you also dropped this year earlier, you said... Yes, uh, that was a, a collaboration project with me and my brother ACAP, who's also from Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually an originally a Santanero, so... Santanero, sorry, he's a dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he moved to Anaheim, I met him there, and... Uh, He's just a really great dude. Um, very much part of like my very inner circle, inner sanctum. Me and that guy have so many adventures. And I really felt like up until that time, I was really just trying to grind out projects for the sake of the spectacle, the look at me and uh, you know, I'm the best rapper out here. Nobody's fucking touching these songs. And so Cap and Shark, our collaboration project was like a, a, a little vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, because I still wanted to release two projects a year, mm-hmm. but I wanted I wanted to, to after dropping Billy Millie, uh, which was my seven seven track project that I dropped at the end of two thousand nineteen. I was just like, man, I I feel on top of the world. Like I don't really have to compete with anybody. I don't have to look over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's touching me after this. So mm-hmm. it was very much a, a vacation and just a um a return to to things of old, like things that made me happy. Um, it's a great project. And it it sounds just like it looks on the cover, and uh, I I love A Cap. That's my bro. He did almost all of the tracks on there except for two mm-hmm. that were done by my other homie uh, Izamari. Shout out Izamari as well, uh, dope young producer on the rise. And uh, yeah, that that was that was our our feel good. Yeah, um, I can't help myself. Every time I rap, I still have to say something. I still have to talk about something. There's yeah. still. Some hidden meetings in yeah. different places and whatnot. It's like KRS One in you, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the songs are very lighthearted and very fun mm-hmm. sounding, but they're deep ass songs. Yeah. Um, the song that ends it, I think it's uh, "Shake It Off." Mm-hmm. Um, "Shake 'Em Off." Sorry, not "Shake It Off." "Shake It Off" is Taylor Swift, <laughs> not Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, "Shake 'Em Off" uh, is about how me and ACAP were bullied growing up. Yeah. And how we became more confident today because we were bullied Mm -hmm. for how people treated us and stuff and how we decided that we're not going to let that define us. Mm -hmm. Um, We also did a song called Backwoods on uh, uh, Roll Them. 
because I didn't want to get sued by backwards. <laughs> uh, called Roll Dim, and Roll Dim sounds like a smoke song, and it is, but it's it's really about how we navigate the party scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is that we kind of keep to ourselves when we go to parties, and me and Cap have gone to plenty of events together, and we don't. We're not the guys who are trying to garnish all the attention or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're walking like, hey, we're rappers. You know, we we just smoke weed and kind of rotate with the 420 ta- the 420 crowd. You know okay. what I mean? So uh, there was a lot of fun. I really appreciate ACAP for that project because it really kind of brought me back to my love of music and mm-hmm. not so much of a, uh, a career stipulation. Yeah, you know? makes sense. During 2020 and obviously like when the lockdown started, did you feel like it was harder, easier, or kind of the same for you to make music and create? I feel like it was a lot of all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was different different phases mm-hmm. I, I, I would describe them as. At the very beginning, I was just like, fuck, how am I going to do anything? Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to the LA film school or LA recording school, whatever, because I'm taking recording class. It's the same school. But uh, I was given the ability uh, and utensils Mm -hmm. and tools that I needed to um, do things on my own. But it was very hard for me because a lot of the things I do is in collaboration or via inspiration. I wouldn't say that I I, uh, hear a song and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a song like that. But I feel like that's how I recharge is hearing music from other people. Yeah. when it's live, it's just so yeah. much more real. It's it's the energy is much more potent mm-hmm. than listening to a recording of one of my favorite songs or whatever. Of course, I could still get amped off of one of my favorite artists. Yeah. But there's something special about hearing something you've never heard before and just being like, oh, oh, yeah, what, who, yeah, yeah. who is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, so it was it was difficult in that sense, but it, it instilled in me some discipline. In other ways, so I was like, "Well, if I don't feel motivated to make music that much, that's fine. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fine tune some other stuff." So, I've been um, getting into audiovisual type stuff, mm-hmm. um, audio engineering. You know, uh, putting some stuff together. I just dropped a um, um, my podcast. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, I had some fun there yesterday. Season three. Uh, right? Yeah. No, yeah. actually, this morning, I guess. Uh, man. <laughs> And uh, I'm just learning so much mm-hmm. and kind of cutting out the middleman that most independent artists kind of have to go to. Right. You know what I mean? Like uh, the video editor, the videographer, you know, there's a lot of money that has to change hands in order to get your product. And there's a lot of waiting, mm-hmm. you know, and production, post-production, mastering, mixing, all of that stuff as well. So going to school has kind of kept me grounded in that and, and kind of um, aligning my career's backbone with more credibility and just professionalism learning how to still be a creative artist and still be a musician Mm -hmm. but then learning all of the other supporting roles around it yeah not only so that i can do them myself but Mm -hmm. so i can also teach members of my team right so that i expand their reach and their repertoire Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, their, their knowledge, really. Yeah, and I think even that sense, you being able to do everything on your own, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Indigenous people, they're able to farm the land, you know, hunt, gather, like, kind of do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask people, you know, people are talking about civil war and that kind of stuff. Like, on, like honest to God, like, 80% of the population would be fucked because they don't know how to grow food. Like They, they don't, don't know how to, how to fight. Yeah, they don't know how to fight thing. with people their talk hands. About, they don't people talk to... about war. They're, it's yeah. not going to come to that because most people... 
do not know how to fight. They do not know how to fire a weapon. Right. They do not know any strategy, no warfare. Anything exactly, like right. You yeah. Know? Whereas I was trained for this shit, like, even yeah. before the military, so I'm not worried. Yeah, but even, like, basic life skills, like I said, growing sure. food mm-hmm. and just being able to cultivate different things here, like, right at the house mm-hmm. or in a, a particular group of land, like, you know, I think a lot of people, we've been so disconnected from our roots right. and, and the natives and stuff like that, so, you know... Well, I will say that there kind of has been a resurfacing of old cultures and uh, old ways. Um, a lot of friends kind of surrounding themselves with plants and, and giving themselves uh, responsibilities to take care of, like gardens and, and what have you, and mm-hmm. really getting into health, I've seen, as a, on a rise. Yeah. Not only physical, but mental health as well. So this this quarantine has been a blessing in disguise for yeah. a lot of people, I believe, m- me especially. Mm-hmm. What are some goals for you when this quarantine... I don't want to say it comes to an end because I feel like it'll, it'll be an ongoing thing. But oh, yeah. when this eases up, I guess you could say. It's just going to be more of the same yeah. uh, for me. I, I've not really seen a distinguishable difference mm-hmm. um, besides the obvious. You know, uh, I, I've not stopped working. I've not stopped making music. I just had to find creative ways to continue doing it. Okay. And um, I've been actually really careful during the pandemic and whatever. I recently caught coronavirus... Um, uh, I believe I was infected on the 23rd. Yes, the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And then um, was diagnosed on the 29th. No, I took the took the test on the 26th. Got the test back on the 29th. Started quarantining on the 31st. No. No, no, no. That's wrong. 23rd was infected. 29th got tested. The test results came back on the 31st. Right. That's yeah. what happened. Halloween. Yes, which is funny because that's when the project dropped. Yeah, everything. Uh, and I was just like, well, shit. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to trick or treat it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, nobody did. Everybody was kind of stayed inside and whatnot. There were a few Halloween event socials that I wanted to go to and whatnot. But uh, luckily, um, I did all my contact tracing. None of the people that I were around in that small point in time before I started quarantine got infected. That's good. Everybody's great. You know, because I'm not just running around French kissing people or <laughs> sneezing on them. But, you know, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, quarantine is, has been its own little challenge. Yeah. And I love challenges. Mm-hmm. Life is a challenge. And I think that if you don't rise to it, you're going to sink beneath the waves and drown. Shit. Just like the Titanic people. <laughs> What's going on with the Titanic, no, man? Did you I recently just, watch I, it? No, like, just, James Cameron's just bouncing. <laughs> you saw Leo at the no, coffee shop. What happened? <laughs> no, just like, I don't know. First thing popped up. It's so, like, iconic, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. No, yeah. for sure. You know, the unsinkable ship. They're like, mm-hmm. not even God can sink this. And he was like... You know what it was? Actually, no, it was. It's the Family Guy episode where they time travel and they end up on the Titanic. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I might have, but I might have erased it from my memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Family Guy has... has Fallen from grace mm. in, in my mind. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, not avidly watching that shit no more. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane needs to leave Hollywood, but that's just my opinion. Mm. Well, before we wrap things up, I do mm. like to ask these like fun, introspective questions to help the audience to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So, if you could talk to any person, uh, dead or alive in history, who would it be? Fuck me. That's <laughs> oh man, just one person. It could be multiple people. Want to list off some? Okay. Names. Okay. Um, I'll go five. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get Huey, um, Huey Newton. If y'all don't know who that is, mm-hmm. um, hopefully y'all know who that is. If you don't, yeah. look him up. Huey Newton, Nelson Mandela, MLK Jr. Don't want to get his dad on accident. <laughs> gotta be specific, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Einstein, and yeah, he's, he's gonna be the only person who's not black. And uh, 
um, damn it, I, not not Langston Hughes. You know, Langston Hughes is my my ringer, but mm-hmm. uh, it it was uh, damn it, what is his name? I'm drawing a blank so hard. Frederick Douglass. Oh, Frederick. Okay. okay. Sorry. There you go. All right. If you could have any toppings on a pizza, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I I put a lot of shit on pizza, man. <laughs> like, yeah, piss them off, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I like to build my own pizzas. Uh huh. I don't I don't like getting the like, fast yeah, and ready pizza press that kind yes, of thing. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, so now, just for dietary reasons, I always go with the um, cauliflower crust. Mm-hmm. It's not that much of a difference. I like the way that it cooks. It's very even. Mm-hmm. Um, I put as much vegetables as I possibly can. Um, usually there's black olives on there, mm-hmm. um, green, red peppers, roasted garlic. I love roasted garlic on my pizza. Onions. Um, I like putting artichokes on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of artichoke. Like I didn't even <laughs> realize, but artichoke is bomb. Like you don't need to stop stop sleeping on artichoke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot. Um, as far as meats go, I stick mostly to chicken. So. Chicken and um, anything that's uh, soy based is, is pretty cool with me as well. Okay. Yeah, I got a lot of vegan friends, so there you go. I try to keep it cool. Right on. Uh, I swore off red meat, so nothing nothing red. Yeah. Any much anymore? That shit. I'm I'm too old now. Apparently, that shit fucks my stomach up. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you were stranded on an island and food and water provided, what are three things you'd like to bring to pass the time? Oh, fuck. I mean, is this like a mythical island where it's like I'll get all the things that I need with the thing? Or no, is it, I, I, you is mean like, like you can package stuff together, like so people okay. say recording equipment. Yeah, because I, I was gonna say, all, you yeah, know? you don't have to be like Mike, this. That, okay, yeah. thank goodness. Yeah, okay, yeah. so recording equipment, obvi, <laughs> yeah. obvi. Like I gotta make music, or else you know, it, it doesn't even matter if it's a isolated island or not. Like yeah. I'm losing my shit. <laughs> um, I gotta bring some weed with me. Okay, and. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring my muses, my okay. muses, yeah. Uh, so all of the women who inspire me mm-hmm. and uh, you know make me happy. <laughs> all right, last question. If you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? Fuck. Uh, stop faking it. <laughs> be you. Stop it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I would have um, came to my senses earlier and just just you know went for it mm-hmm. and wasn't so fucking afraid you yeah know, don't don't be afraid just do it man just do it yeah well fucking said well really appreciate you again for hopping on the show thank you go ahead being and, here, man. thank you go ahead and plug whatever else you'd like to plug social medias websites podcasts anything all right bet uh everything is tui the shark look me up google me t-u-i-d-a-s-h-a-r-k there's going to be all of that um, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. If you look up Tui the Shark, I'm going to be there. Um, make sure to tap in with the podcast, Swimming with Shark and Dory. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try and get this guy on now. I've been hey. trying. I've been trying. <laughs> we'll make it happen. We will make it happen. But yeah, that's, that's, that's me, man. That's all I got. All right. Beautiful. Boom. That's going to wrap it up for episode 131 of the My Mike and I podcast. Again, guys, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a rating and review. And if you're listening on any other platform, be sure to follow, be sure to subscribe, be sure to like our homepage. And if you can, I'd greatly appreciate it if you guys left, or not left, but if you guys shared it with, you know, a person, a fellow friend, 
family member, colleague, someone that you think may like the podcast. I'd greatly appreciate that. Be sure to follow the My Mike and I Instagram page at my period Mike and period I. I have a lot of fun promoting the podcast, taking different snippets from the visuals on YouTube or sometimes just audio clips from, you know, audio clip from the audio form of the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, just promote, you know, highlight different things that the, the guests had said and interesting parts of the conversation. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can also follow me at underscore Noah Alvarez on Twitter. Um, I haven't been posting a whole lot, to be honest, the past few months because I was trying to take a social media break, but I'm on Twitter again. So yeah, it's kind of picking back up and you know, you can follow me on for a lot of social commentary on just different things, movies, sports, TV shows, etc, etc. Sometimes it's personal life. I like to rant about work on there too. So that's always fun. But also to the two best places to reach out to me if you're interested on in being on the show. If you'd like uh, to have any suggestions or feedback for the show, definitely feel free to reach out. Be sure to, to, be sure to subscribe ugh, to the YouTube channel as well. Just look up Noah Alvarez, my name, no tricky spelling, and you'll find my channel. And you can find all these podcasts with visuals as well. So yeah, shout out to Jules Santana. She's been helping a lot with the, um, the video recording aspect and getting these up on YouTube too with the two camera shoots. So really appreciate her and happy birthday to her. Happy early birthday. Her birthday is actually on November 26th. It's uh, it's also the, <laughs> the day of a really famous holiday, but she wishes that I not acknowledge that. So we're not going to talk about that day. <laughs> but yeah, happy birthday to Jules. Happy birthday to the homie Sammy as well. She Her birthday is November 24th. So shout out to all the Sagittariuses and their birthday season coming up. And um, yeah, shout out to you guys, the listener, for listening all the way through. Really appreciate the support of the podcast. And I think, think as I always do before we end it, end it, end it. Did want to remind you guys to chase dreams, not checks. And hope you guys never stop seeking knowledge, conquer all the obstacles that may have come your way the rest of this year. It's almost over, guys, but, you know, the holidays are intact. And, you know, just a reminder to be safe out there. Obviously, holiday shopping season can be risky. But also to remember, you know, a lot of hardships are experienced, so maybe... If you're a kid listening to this or someone who expected and usually gets big gifts, maybe, um, maybe you know, just expe- have your expectations a little lower. You never know what people went through financially, hardship-wise this year. And uh, it may not be the year to give the most expensive, elaborate gifts. Gifts, And, you know, if you do, then so be it. Be grateful for that because there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that won't be getting gifts or as many or as elaborate of gifts this year. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess just be grateful for life, guys. Yeah, so before I ramble too much, I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Thank you again to Tui the Shark for being on the podcast. And thank you guys again for listening to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. I'm Noah Alvarez signing off. Till next time.